0: You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Weston Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell Family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell Family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area, with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences To help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Hey guys, did you know that 72% of client unhappiness is directly attributed to a lack of communication during projects? The team over at Buildbook has solved that problem once and for all with a tool that keeps all the conversations and decisions between you, your team, and your clients in one place. Their simple, powerful app helps you create daily logs. Schedule and manage your client tasks, keep track of selections, process change orders, and so much more. I met the Buildbook team in Vegas at IBS earlier this year where they were chosen as a finalist for the most innovative construction tool of 2020, which is saying a lot considering how many tools are actually out there. If you're looking to remove the stress from your projects, make your clients happier, and increase your profits, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. There's absolutely no risk to try it, so go ahead and hit pause and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 to take advantage of the trial and score the 45% off. This deal isn't available anywhere else, so I recommend at least trying out the software. All right, let's dive into today's show. Hey, guys, welcome back to Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. As always, I'm joined by my dad, Wes, and my uncle, Brooks. Welcome, guys. Hey, how are you doing, Spence? Hey, thank you. Doing good. Yeah, I'm excited for the conversation today because we're going to dig into the past a little bit and talk Ooh. about, yeah,
1: the
0: past. Uh-oh. yeah. The past. actually, we were just talking about the past, I think uh, way, way in the past, 1800s. This old right. uh, old house. I guess where is it located?
1: Oh, uh, we were just talking about your great grandfather's house, uh, in in Fryberg, Maine. So, and we were just talking about outdoor plumbing.
2: Well, <laughs> and your great great grandfather's house, also, who lived there. That's right, world, right? Yeah. That's so, right. in the uh, they had this outhouse, which is a toilet that's outside, and which they I just learned. connected yeah. it. Yeah, they connected it to the house. But it was the cool thing about it was it was a three holer so as a kid, you go out there, and there's three holes for the outhouse, and then there was the Sears and Robot catalog, and That's there right. you go. That was your that was very paper. very
0: deluxe, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. So as a, a kid coming from the city, you go out there, you're like, "What the heck is going on out here? This is some yeah. crazy stuff."
1: Yeah, and and,
2: and you go, is- go around the outside, and then they had the doors where you'd open it up down below, and you could shovel everything out. You know, I'll let you put the, the picture. Of <laughs>
0: Yeah, good Good way to, to kick things
1: off here with that yeah,
2: image in our minds.
1: Yeah. But I think you're right, Brooks. There was a three holder, and you're going, oh, okay, so three people all pile in here. <laughs> the same. Yeah, read the paper
2: together. Yeah, what's going on, Roy? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're not, not going to.
2: What's that? Big, not much different than a lot of big office buildings now. I mean, all you do is just have a right. there.
1: Just have that nice
0: wall there. Yeah, yeah we've gotten so advanced. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So we're not going to really dive that far into the <laughs> oh, past. You know, I mean, <laughs> but uh, but we were going to dive into kind of just top lessons learned, kind of reflecting on your guys' past experience. You've got, both got you know, at least a couple of decades in the business environment in several different iterations of that. So I guess, Brooks, what's something that as you think back, you wished you learned sooner?
2: Personality profiles. Mm. understanding personalities, just clueless. I mean, you know, at least I'm aware of it and try to do a better job of it, but it's understanding people and their personalities and that, you know, really you're not going to change people. So you just need to learn how to work with them. And so we added that later on when uh, Todd and I were running the company, we added doing personality profiles, using that as part of the interview process and really understanding where people were coming from, you know, technically they could be very good, but maybe their personality is not a fit for, um, you know, the company. Yeah. So I think that so would have saved me a lot of stress.
0: Yeah. So when you say you were kind of clueless about them or that it would have saved, saved you stress, I guess, what did that look like when you, you know, just didn't think about that part of it,
2: you know? Well, you know, me and <laughs> clueless are two things that go together, but, uh, <laughs> It looked like not, you know, having done any research or understanding into just personality types or, you know, what are people's motivations and what drives people and just being totally unaware of that. I was just I just can't I'm just amazed at how unaware I was. Um, And so what that meant is that you worked with people and you just didn't understand why they were doing what they were doing. Because they weren't doing stuff like you. Exactly. Like, oh, I just think right. everyone right.
0: thinks this way. Yeah. yeah.
2: It's absolutely right. Yeah, they're not doing. it, You know, everyone just do it the way I do it. And it took me 20 years to figure that out. And even now, I'm still surprised. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's a great.
1: <laughs> I don't think I saw personality profiles. Brooks, you did it. You know, after I left the company, but right. the new company I went to, we were just doing personality profiles. My father-in-law had just contracted with the company to come through and do personality profiles for the entire company. And there's probably, I don't know, 25 or so of us at that time. And it was, it was, but it was all new stuff at that time. We've been midnight. Yeah. It was very, very cutting edge. And, uh, but I found that really illuminating as well. So I agree with Brooks. That's a, it's a great thing. I think what helps you realize is that let's say you take somebody who who is very social and, you know, in the disc profiling, it's like they call it a high I or something, but in a different type of system would be called something else. Uh, Myers-Briggs would call it something else, but you know, you have a high I, someone who really likes people, wants to be engaged with people all the time and life of the party. This is not the person that you want in your accounting department because they're going to, you know, because they're going they're, they're constantly going, Oh, I'm not happy. You know, like, I want to get up and I want to go visit with people and, so you learn, I think, how to place people in jobs a little bit better, or know where it's not maybe going to be a perfect fit. And I think also where it helped me was learning how to deal with people. You know, Brooks was talking about, hey, you know, so Brooks, you're you're a super gregarious sort of person, you know, very outgoing. You would be a high eye, right? You know, you're right. you're definitely a high eye. And so, you know, if you're a high eye and I was a high eye until that was beaten out of me. But well done. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but, but you don't realize that sometimes because you're a high eye and you get excited about things. And, and you, if you're going to somebody who, let's go back to your accounting department, someone who really is very methodical and meticulous. And, and so you come in, you've got a great idea and you just kind of throw that at that person. <laughs> and then you go, whoa, back up. I need time to process this and think about it. And you just can't understand why you're getting this pushback. And so you don't handle it the right way because you don't understand uh, the person that you're talking to. So it's, it's pretty helpful.
2: Yeah. I think personality profiles is a great, it it makes life just a lot easier. So it's something that Mm -hmm. if you, have a better understanding of yourself, and then if you incorporate that personality profile, you can actually add it to your job descriptions and say, Hey, you know, these are an ideal personality profile for this, this job. You Know kind of somewhere with some sure. of these strong characters, and that's and that can be helpful as you're interviewing, as you're trying to build your business, so you're not having to hire the wrong person, and then it just helps you manage better. And and we do, you know, we did it all, we did all the personal profiles, you know, with our kids and our spouses, you know. So it's always fun to do too as your kids are, you know, growing up, say, Oh, well, what kind of personality profile are you? And again, it, and it helps your kids get a better understanding of you as a parent.
0: Yeah, 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 that's a good point. It's
2: kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, dad's an ass. Okay, well, I didn't show that in the profile.
0: But. Yeah, where does that show up?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's in the third section. Yeah, it's yeah, the third to <laughs> section. Like, down
2: yeah, low. you can't see it.
1: I, I will say one thing about personality profiles, though, that uh, Karen, my wife, and Spencer's mother.
2: Yeah. But, but she would all have personality
1: profiles because she used to have to administer them. She also point out that that you don't want to pigeonhole someone though within yeah. that box because exactly. oh well, gee, there's only sixteen personality profiles in the world, and everyone fits in one of those boxes, so we only have sixteen different types of people, which is totally untrue, right? right. Everything yeah. is informed That's by your life experience cool. and everything else that goes into making you a unique individual. So I think if you do use personality profiles, which are a great tool, you just have to recognize it's it's a tool and it's helping it's tool, you, but it's not sure. defining everything about. Yeah. And, you know, I would, yeah, I added that too,
2: Wes, that you don't use it as a way to exclude. You just say, no. hey, give you some indications. So you'd understand. We hired many people that, you know, they weren't, you know, the profile we were looking for, you know, they didn't meet that. Totally. They had some of those aspects, but you just would then understand a better way to work with them. And you'd have discussions in that hiring process about, you know, because we had them take the, the test as part of the application process. Correct. Mm. And so that's super helpful. Then you say, then you're able to talk about your profile and how you use it in the company. And then it becomes, you know, more of a dialogue. So it can be kind of a fun thing to do.
1: Yeah. Like sales would be a good example. There are many highly successful salespeople that are falling to different personality profiles. Um, There's just like Brooks saying, helps inform that person, helps inform you as to how they might, adjust their technique in selling, you know, they can be very successful and have several
2: different, right?
0: Yeah. It seems like one of the bigger takeaways is it's an enablement tool, not a tool to be used against people. And you're just trying to use it as a way to bridge that gap and go, Hey, we're different. That's okay. This is how I like to get information. This is how you like to get information. Yeah. There was even a
2: a company Todd worked for for a couple of years where they actually put up on their desk, you know, the thing had their profile and said, hey, here's how I like to get information, here's how I like to give it. You know, they had that up there for a couple of years and, and it went by the wayside, eventually. but it was it's a good idea, just that idea of like, oh, this is how I like to perceive information and this is like how I like to give it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, definitely a good one. I know you guys have brought the personality profiles up, I think on several episodes, so I definitely can feel how important you felt it was. And I think we've used it here not as much as we should, but yeah. When you take that test, there's a couple of things that just come out of that. We're going, oh, okay, and it just kind of clicks. You're like, oh, I get why that person does X in these situations, or I get why they always ask more questions. It's because they like all the facts and all the information,
2: and you, you start to uncover those types of things. And we even did it. We did it amongst the five siblings, just for a fun right. exercise, and that was kind. Of, you know, that's kind of fun and. And it gives you better understanding of, you know, how you interact, especially in a sibling dynamic where you, you know, growing up in a similar household for the most part, like, Oh, why do they act that way? <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: yeah. So Wes, as you, you think back, what's uh,
1: something you wish you learned sooner? Well, and I, I don't know how I would have learned this sooner other than somebody telling me, but I think one of the things is that nothing lasts forever in business. So and I wish I had learned that sooner. So when times are good, that's great, but good times don't last. And the converse is also true. You know, when you're in the thick of it and things are, you know, the, the economy isn't good and things aren't going well, that doesn't last forever either. And so so when you're riding high, that means, hey, start planning you know, looking out ahead, how am I gonna navigate the downturn or how am I gonna make sure that I'm in, in good shape for whatever the downturn is? And when things are really bad, just it helps pick you up and go, okay, but I know that business cycles change, things change, and I need to be uh, lifting my head up out of the out of the muck and and trying to figure out how I'm going to come out of this stronger. And I, I just wish I had picked up on that sooner because I think I think we've talked about this on an earlier program as well, but you know, when I first when we first got into building business, I think Brooks and I were like, "Hey, guess what? We're big extrapolators." I think all of us on this program are yeah. big extrapolators. Give us a spreadsheet, Hey, man, this going to be run it out. out. <laughs> yeah, just run it out. Five you percent know, a year, whatever it is. But that was the the mistake. We're going okay. Well, we can build these these same floor plans. We can, you know, we'll sell exactly the same way, and it's just a system. And there is truth to the idea of a system, for sure, very powerful, but that doesn't mean that you are tied in tight to a particular way of doing things and have no flexibility. Because if you're not flexible, then you will break. And that's usually what happens is that your system breaks if there's no flexibility built into it. So anyway, that that's just something I wish I'd learned no, yeah. Anyway, think about how often
2: McDonald's tries to change products mm-hmm. trying to figure out, you know, so they're trying to adapt and they have some big failures and they have some successes, but they're always working. Okay. Well, how do we need to adapt?
1: That's a good point because how long is that franchise system? And that's a system, you know, it's a system, yeah. the successful franchises. And those are the ones that can adapt their product line, the way they provide services. Now you notice that McDonald's does flame out on a lot of stuff.
2: Sure, you know, but they're but they're, trying. Their, they're trying. And yeah, that's what trying. you want to do. Yeah, I remember I mean back the oh salads, right? You know, they were doing salads and that was just right. like, Just didn't work. But they tried it and they do other stuff. And so I think you have to be willing to like you say, Wes, it's like if things are not gonna go be the same and and uh, when yeah, you know, when times are good, you know, raise your prices, make as much margin as you can, sock it away. And when times are bad then Yeah, realize it's not going to last forever. Uh, It can last a long time, though. Yeah. Yeah, it can last for years. So you just have to, you know, stay in there swinging.
0: And it's something that you just said, Wes, connected to a book I'm reading. You you mentioned you have to be flexible. And I'm reading a book called Anti-Fragile by, Mm -hmm. I'm going to butcher his name. I think it's Nassim Taleb. And it's like the fourth or fifth in a series, but he talks about basically when you have these big shocks to a system or, you know, your environment or whatever, you know, it's the fragile companies or people that crumble and and being anti-fragile is having that flexibility to adapt and change. And oftentimes those are the companies or people that they don't even... You know, survival is like the minimum, but a lot of times they end up thriving in those environments because they they just jump and and adapt. And so, yeah, I think that that point about just recognizing the environment you're in and then just rushing to to change and take action and you'll miss sometimes and you'll hit sometimes. But if you just stay stagnant, like you'll just get crushed. So, I think that's a a good one. What about things that you've had to learn the hard way? You know, Brooks is there something that that stands out where you're like. Um, nothing right nothing yeah most of my business
2: career kind of <laughs>
0: yeah. <in the> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right well let's block uh, out the next six hours and we'll go
2: through every <laughs> yeah everyone point, get out though. a box of tissues gonna hear this sad <laughs> story <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know they never really talked about you know i had the opportunity to go to college go to business school which was great but you know they really never talked about cash flow i mean they touch on it for i don't know how very. yeah what about cash flow? You know, without cash, you're just toast. And uh, <laughs> you learn that the hard way. Mm-hmm. You run out of cash.
1: <laughs> I think that's true. Um, you know, I was thinking about that teaching teaching accounting in college. You know, we don't they teach you how to do a, a cash flow or the cash analysis, basically. You know, but they don't explain why that's really important. And I think that's what you're getting. That's out true. Yeah, you it's don't really learn why the why. It's, really yeah. it's just another report.
0: They're right. like, oh, you this know, number's negative. This number's positive in this problem right. that I'm working out.
2: <laughs> yeah. I got it right. I got it right. <laughs> 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 I'm out of business, <laughs> and I had to go back and take some, you know, simple. I forget there used to be this company. I think they're still around. Fred Pryor seminars and they're very mm-hmm. simple. You know, they just vary, you know, day at a time. You can take these things about you know, so I went and took some you know, some seminars on cash flow and just had to learn you know, because you're like, why am I having a problem here? Why don't I really understand this? And uh, especially in the construction business where you're using construction loans and you're borrowing money, you know, you might be borrowing three, four million dollars and at a time. And then you're wondering, why am I out of cash? Yeah.
1: And Brooks, you're you're probably, I'm sure you do remember because we (laughs) did it together, but I just remember when we were first building houses and we were, you know, making good money and you know making money every month and everything but it was always that cash flow issue and mm-hmm. i really it took me quite a while to figure out what the problem was because you would end up you would buy a piece of property and then you would have to front load all this cash into that piece of property to get it to the point or then you could put a loan on it and build the house, you know, so you're doing some improvements. And so if you get enough of those things going where you're going, oh, I've got 15 15 lots here and I'm trying to get permits and I'm doing a little bit of engineering and this and that, and you're putting all this cash into it. Well, okay. (laughs) So that's all cash that came from somewhere and that's just out of your reserves. And once you've used up your reserves, you don't have any money to borrow, even though you're going to make money and you're making money every month with closings. It's all timing, so learning out that timing of, of cash flow is is critical, because you, know, you can just run out of cash.
0: Yeah, that's a good one, and I know you guys have mentioned you know that's that's the oxygen for any business. You know, that's why most of them fail as you you run out of cash. So, Wes, what uh, what's something that comes to mind for you that you had to learn the hard way?
1: I think, uh, and this was not in the building side of the business. This was uh, in the direct mail business, but I think I learned that you can't fix personnel issues with money. So,
2: yeah, <laughs> and, and let, kind of let me
1: explain. So, you know, at, at one point I had three managers who didn't get along very well. You know, they, they, they bickered and they fought and, you know, they didn't, they didn't work well together, but they're all important in their own way for the areas that they worked in. And I, and I thought, well, if I can kind of get everyone pointed in the same direction working as a team, you know, that that would be helpful. And my way to do it was, hey, let's, I'll give them some financial incentives. And what I did was a thing called phantom stock, which was, hey, I'm going to give you what looks like it's going to act like stock in the company and it's going to go up in value as the company does better. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna incentivize everyone to work, make, you know, improving the value of the company and we're all being pointed in the same direction. And I had a vesting, a vesting schedule of that. Okay, well, I'm going to give you some phantom stock and, you know, 20% this year and vested for 40% after two years and so on and so forth. So really all I did was lock people into the company that didn't that weren't happy. So sometimes you, you give out financial incentives and things like that, thinking this is really going to help help me. But really what it does is it keeps people around who don't want to be around, but they don't want to leave because of the golden handcuffs. So, so they're just waiting for everything to best. And then once it's vested, then, you know, they're still unhappy and they may leave or you may have to ask them to go, uh, which is usually what I ended up doing, but it's pretty painful. So I, I think this goes back to what Brooks was talking about at the beginning with the personality profiles and also just making sure that people are really want to be doing what they're doing for you, that they enjoy their job, that it's, you know, or if, at least they, they don't hate their job, you know, that and uh it so that's more important. I mean, job satisfaction isn't around the money. I guess that's what I really learned was yeah. money has to be right, it can't be too little, so it's a problem for people, but the money is not gonna solve any interpersonal issues or management issues or anything like that.
2: No, if someone's I, mean, I totally agree, Wes, if someone is Kind of unhappy, or it's just not a good fit, or there's dissension in the team. You know, money's not going to fix any of that. You know, it's solve your, solve your personnel problems and don't solve it because if you're if if they're fairly compensated, either they it all gels or it doesn't. If it doesn't, you know, they need to move on and find another place to be. And probably to go add to that, West would be you know do that sooner than later as a manager. You know, don't put up with poor performance. Don't put up with, you know, bad attitudes, things like that. Just, you know, sit down and say, Hey, you know, it doesn't seem like this is the right fit. You know, we want to help you find a new place to go. And so we had to do that quite a bit, but yeah, we didn't, the longer, the longer you're in business, the less patience you have for, you know, things that are not fitting, you are like, okay, we need to, we need to make a change here. Right. And,
1: and that's a great point. I would totally agree with that. I think that's try to help people solve their problems problems or their issues with the job but don't don't uh, let it fester and and go on too long and uh, you know either you're going to move through to a resolution to issues or you're not um, right. you just don't want to be caught in that that middle ground of not doing anything and um, if people aren't happy then other people aren't going to be happy and, it, and it's really you'll lose good people. you'll lose good people who will Absolutely. take
2: yeah. yeah and we've all had
1: that experience where you know you ended up having to let somebody go it wasn't a good fit. And then everyone else comes up to you later and says, well, what took you so long to do that? Yeah, you know, because they were unhappy as well because of the situation. Yeah.
0: If you've followed Builder Funnel for even a little bit, you know we're huge believers in the inbound marketing methodology. One of the most important phases is the client delight phase. By delighting customers, you turn them into promoters of your business and your brand. The only way to get people to go out of their way to sing your praises is to wow them throughout the process. This is something the guys over at BuildBook are helping you do. Better communication leads to better outcomes, and that means communication at every level. Daily logs, client selections, punch lists, and change orders. Today, that communication gets super fragmented between email, text, and phone calls, and inevitably, things fall through the cracks. With BuildBook, everything funnels through one simple app, keeping everyone on the same page and your clients filled with delight. No more digging through texts or random emails looking for client approvals. Just one place to see everything going on with a project. And as a reminder, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah, the, that poison, <laughs> yeah. poison just, it flows fast, you know, as soon as yes. that's, that starts to happen. And, it, and to your point, Brooks, I mean, it impacts great people. And if you lose a great person over that, man, that stings, you know, so right. that's a good one. So thinking about, you know, I guess uh, the past and just different as you pick up like skills along the way during your career and, you know, in the, the business environment what is maybe one of the top skills that you would recommend somebody work on improving or leveling up or getting some coaching around brooks is there anything that comes say, to mind yeah there really
2: is i was i would say interpersonal skills you know learning to be a better person and how to interact with people in a better way that you know, it comes with maturity it doesn't necessarily come with maturity but it can come with as you get older but I think the sooner you can learn how to be, how to interact with people in a positive way, you know, to work through difficult situations, but in and with a positive outcome, you know, even when they're hard decisions, like we just talked about, someone needs to be, you know, terminated okay. or moved on or something. Yeah. Then I think that's helpful because you can re- it can reduce a lot of stress. So working on your interpersonal skills, and that's not something really any of us get trained on. You know, you're raised, you know, by your a parent or your parents and, and you're just kind of, you know, now you're an adult and uh, we'll go out there and get them, you know, <laughs> and, so, <Yeah. laughs> and you're, you might've, depending on the personalities of who you interact with as a, as a young person, you know, it's going to form how you interact and, and then your personality profile. And then here mm-hmm. you are. I think your personal skills would be for me, I would have been like, yeah, I mean, I still struggle with that. I think training on that and understanding that you have to work at it. So
0: what does that look like learning that skill? Where do you, what would you recommend to develop that? Do you know?
2: Yes. I. That's a very good question. I mean, if you could afford a, uh, I guess you could read up on it, you know, you could probably now you could watch a, a lot of Ted talks about it where you didn't, we didn't have that before. You used to go to a, you know, a seminar like, Oh, you know, improve your interpersonal skills. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a good one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And if you're you're far enough along in your business career, you can afford a coach that's helpful. You know, they could help you do that for a while because the the more you can, I think the, the more you can improve that, the further you'll get in your business career because you don't end up wrecking relationships or, Going backwards because you you, know, you blew up at somebody, you know. For me, I'm pretty reactionary, you know, so I have to try to work to not be reactionary, you know, because then you just end up going backwards. You, know, you blow somebody up because you're frustrated with them versus, hey, how can we work through this? You can move further. so that that was just for me, probably because I am more reactionary. if I had learned better interpersonal skills earlier, so I'd say if that's something that's a challenge for you, so maybe the answer to your question is. If you think there's something that's challenging for you, work on that. Makes it happen. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Good answer. Yeah, but for you, that was that was the one. I guess that's that's why I say that.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was a problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good, Wes. How about you? Anything coming to mind in terms of skills that people should be thinking about? Well, I I
1: think what Brooke said is great. I mean, I think that's that would be at the top of anyone's list. You know, getting along with people and. certainly is is a top of the list. But I think secondarily I had put down really financial skills, financial analysis. Uh, we talked about cash flow at the top of the program. So you're not going to be in business long if you don't understand your
2: numbers. So I would put that at, at high up on the list as well. I'd put it at the top for sure. I mean you might you better understand your numbers because you're not gonna have to worry about your interpersonal skills. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy until they yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, ran out of cash. Then he wasn't as nice anymore. So that's why I would put there. And so if you don't if you're afraid of numbers or you struggle with numbers, embrace that and go get some help with it. And don't don't just try to hire that out to somebody else because believe me, you need to check the numbers. So uh, if you can't check the numbers and you've abdicated that responsibility, we've certainly heard lots and lots of stories of of companies that have (laughs) had bookkeepers that have absconded with many, many dollars because the owner was afraid of numbers, didn't like numbers. And they just hired somebody and said, here, you know, just take care of all of that. I don't want to think about it. And, um, yeah, well, and my wife worked in the economic
0: crimes division down at the DA's office for a while. And she said almost all those cases were, you know, theft of a business. You know, it was just like the example you used. I mean, so many of them. So, yeah, you have to at least know enough to be able to, to check it. I think that's a really good point, even if it's not your, you know, top skill or, you know, you're not a numbers person.
1: And you need to know if you're making money and you need to know if you're going to run out of cash. And you need to know how to figure those things out. And you really can't turn that over to somebody else. You can get somebody else to pull numbers for you and put things together, but you need to be able to look at those numbers and those reports and
2: understand what they mean.
0: Yeah. So I uh, saw Brooks, it looked like you were
2: disagreeing. or I was going to you know, yeah. transition
0: us, but I was like, hold on, there's something else there.
2: Well, so. I was just thinking about especially construction. We have you whip know, work in process such a problem area so just i'd add that you've got to understand your whip and what goes in and what goes out especially if you're doing new homes or uh, where it's like hey we spent 200 grand on this house and it's sold so we better that the 200 grand better come out of whip or and uh because you really can overstate or understate your earnings or your cash flow so and that's a problem that's an area where a lot of accounts don't understand what the process and what the results that yeah, in, in remodeling yeah I <laughs> can tell story if sure. anyone's
1: interested <laughs> yeah
0: yeah let's yeah. hear it
1: oh so well I certainly um, at one point in my career where I thought I was doing quite well in the direct mail business we had started contracting out to buy prints so we've you know it gets a direct mail program put together we have to print all the pieces and put them in the mail and mail them so when you buy print, you have a job, you know, all that print cost goes into your work in process, right? And so that if your accountant, when that job closes, does not take that work in process account and say, oh, I need to expense this much, you know, the cost of the paper basically out of that job, it's going to overstate how much you make on a job. Same thing that Brooks was just talking about with houses. So in our case, um, we had a work and process account and just kept growing and growing and growing because our accountant never subtracted out the costs of that paper. And so what are the ramifications of someone doing that? Number one, as Burke said, well, it way overstates how much money you're making. So you're looking at your P&Ls and you're going, man, I'm making, look at, I'm looking at my net profit. This is great. Well, what are some of the ramifications of that? Well, in my case, I'm going, well, everyone gets bonuses. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Hey, let's pay out some big bonuses. Look at this. We're doing fantastic. And so when we found it, that problem went on, I bet you it went on at least a year, maybe two years in our case. And once it was figured out, well, we paid out bonuses that we shouldn't have paid out. So that hurt our cash position. We had overstated our income on our tax returns. So we paid way too much tax on our, our income tax returns and said to, had to go back and refile and get refunds. And of course, all of that hurts your cash flow, which then puts a crimp on it. So you're going, well, I'm making money. I have no cash. What's going what on? This? What's going on? And that's really what the red flag was for us. was like, oh, we don't have cash but we're making money. What's going on? Well, it goes back to
2: understanding the balance sheet. and Understanding your balance sheet. Understanding your balance sheet. and if, if you don't understand your balance sheet, just go find someone else in the business and say, hey, I have no idea what's going on in yeah. my balance sheet. Can you walk me through this? And probably be another business person that would walk you through it versus an accountant.
1: Or, and I think the sad thing in, in my particular case is I understood my balance sheet Right. I was moving. I was moving too fast. Yeah. So I wasn't taking the time to really go through each line and, and look at things and go, OK, what does this mean? And, and why is this this way? And, and so and when you're making money or you think you're making money, it's very easy to gloss over your statements and um, give them a cursory and go, yep, this all looks pretty good. So anyway, word to the wise.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good good example of how even if you, like you said, you understand it, sure. if you're just moving too fast or you aren't going through it methodically, at least every once in a while to really dig in and see if it's accurate, then you can you can miss stuff still.
2: Very very yeah. easy to miss stuff. Yeah, and if you're if you're big enough where you can you have like a controller for a hire or a CFO for a hire, then you know one of those things you need to be super diligent about is you have a monthly appointment with that person you sit down and say okay i've been running a million miles an hour trying to sell trying to do whatever let's spend two hours you know over lunch and you know walk me through what happened last month and you know and look at each line on your balance sheet and look at each line on your p l and you know you always have to force yourself to do that you missed up every time, and you're three months later. You'll be well. How did I miss that three months ago? Or, uh, but if you just are diligent about it, and I, uh, you know, even to this day, you just have to be diligent about it all the time. If you're going to have an operating business, you've got you know you got to be get diligent. So set set something up that makes you do it. Because who wants to do it? Nobody wants to do it. That's the worst part. You know, we all want to make money, but we don't want to have to do the The hard work, which is, okay, how do you make sure you're making money?
0: Yeah. Yeah, because it feels tedious when you're going through it. It is tedious. It's
2: terrible. It's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) But you like to make money, right? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, Brooks, what's something that you feel like you wasted a lot of time on, but... Going through balance sheets. That's yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I just teed you up for that one. Yeah.
2: What's <laughs> that? I wasted a lot of time that I shouldn't have. Oh, uh, spending too much time with people who just didn't want to be there. Thinking, you know, you know, if I do this, this will work with that employee or that vendor or instead of just moving on and, and uh, we had some employees, I had some employees early on in the construction business. You know, we didn't have a hiring process. We didn't have an HR person. It'd be like, Oh, we need a laborer. We need someone to do this work and we just hire anybody and nothing but trouble, nothing but problems. Yeah. Wes and I could go, we, we could do 47 podcasts about that. Uh, <laughs> it's just funny that you said that Brooks, because when Spencer was
1: asking that question, now that, that's exactly what came to my mind, which is, working with people who don't get along. Yeah, you know. And so life is too short, your business life will be short. will be poorly impacted by that, those people and it's not if you do good hires, you'll still have some some interpersonal things yeah, exactly. to work out, help people work through, but it goes way way down. And if you're spending 40% of your time you know, helping people get along just so you can get the jobs done. <laughs> Man, life's too short, and you're you not can't get anything done. You, know? you can't get anything done, and you can't make money, and people are unhappy, and you know. So just help them move along.
2: Yeah, it's just it's understand understanding. That, it, yeah, early on in my career, it was not having the maturity or the understanding, the depth of knowledge to realize, oh, that's just part of business, part of working with
1: people. That if you made the wrong hire. It's not gonna get any better with time. <laughs> you know? I think on the flip side though, every once you know, get get someone who knows you really well exactly. and ask them, Hey, am I a jerk? You know, am I am I a bad boss? Yeah. You know, really, what could I be doing better? Because sometimes you are part of the problem. Oh, absolutely. If you're not managing correctly, um, either you're too loose or you're too tight, or you know, you're just you know, as Brooks was saying, Oh, you know, maybe you're too explosive or, you know, you're not even enough or you're don't have a pulse, <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is. But, but anyway, work on yourself as well, but, oh, absolutely. but don't, but don't always put
2: it on yourself either. Recognize that it's not always the right fit and move through those problems. Yeah. Move through them. And, and each time you move through one, you'll get that ex- depth of experience and say, okay, what did I learn from this? And it may be that, yeah, I need to be a better boss. So I need to be working on that. And while I'm working on that, I may have to change employees. And and you just want to, you want a team that really hums. And, and that's pretty hard. That's pretty challenging to do because it's pretty, it's having employees is a dynamic.
1: Yeah. And so I think hiring for fit versus technical skills, you know, so lots of times we hire for technical skills and we don't think about the other side of it. And so you can kind of get trapped in that. Oh, well, this is the only person that can ever do this work because it's so skilled and, you know, and that there's some truth to it. The person has to be able to have the skills, but you also have to have that personality fit and the right attitude and fit with your culture and everything. And if you get that wrong, don't hang on just because you think you can never get another person to do that work because of their technical set. You can.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and especially now, when there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, people available looking for work, you know, there, yeah, there's opportunities there to, to fill those positions. Yeah,
0: and the I think two books came to mind as you guys were talking about this, I think we've mentioned at least one of them before, but Extreme Ownership, Jocko Willink, that's one where, you know, you said, hey, look, look at yourself, what can you own as a part of that situation, but then also, um, Wes, you were talking about not being too hot or too cold or you know, dichotomy of leadership, same same author. But he really talks about leadership is always about finding that right balance between in one moment, you might have to push it to one side or you might have to push it to the other. And sometimes you need to be kind of that Goldilocks, like right in the middle. And it's always this kind of tug between both. And so anyway, we'll drop those in the, the show notes for everybody. As we wrap today, we'll maybe finish on a high note. Brooks, maybe what what's uh, one of your biggest wins as you reflect back on everything?
2: Biggest win would be you know near the end of my career where we we made a great hire with a good salesperson, and we hired for sales when we had no sales, and you know we we're starting up our renovations division, and we hired a salesperson after we built the pipeline, and. It was probably the first time in 30 years where it's like, oh, we really have a good sales system. Mm -hmm. And if I had a good sales system very early on, I think West, you know, very early on in our career, if we had a better sales system back in the 80s, and I think we would have done a lot better Mm -hmm. instead of just kind of using, well, you get a realtor and they sell the houses. We didn't have a sales system. No. So I think a good sales system can be a big win. Yeah, that's cool. How about you, Wes?
1: No, I like Brooks's. That's great. I think um, biggest win would be building rental properties early, and certainly, you know, we built some rental properties early, and those rental properties ended up paying for everyone's college educations, all the kids' college educations, and everything else. And so, I, I think trying to make some of those moves early on, if you can can really help in the long term. So
2: yeah, plant plant the seeds early. Yep. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I still talk to my kids about that very same thing, you know, just early, you know, earlier, you can, you know, knock down your first rental or your second rental. It just kind of gets rolling.
0: Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. Sometimes you playing that long game, but having the knowledge or the foresight to just get it started you know, and then all of a sudden you look up and you know, I do that sometimes like, holy cow, it's been ten years
2: since I started on this, like it goes fast. And so yeah, that's But well, like don't that. forget no matter where you are, whatever age you are, you know, you know, people are living to be ninety. Okay, well, you can buy a rental when you're sixty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it'll be paying off for you, you know, when you're eighty. You know, so it's not I, I remember having a conversation with somebody, they're like, Well, you know, you know, they were sixty five or something, they're like, Well you know, that's kind of all over for me as far as what I'm going to do for retirement and stuff. I'm like, oh, uh, no, you still got another 25 years where if you keep investing or doing whatever, it's all going to pay off. So it just an, it was like an aha moment. I'm like, yeah, you got most of us will be able to live a long time. So, and I, that's a good point, Bricks. And they
1: they've shown that really your most productive years are really your 50s and 60s, in the sense so
2: that.
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but, but really, because you're reaching that sweet spot of everything that you've learned, and you you know you're applying it, and all those hard lessons that you've learned, and everything. So sometimes you know, nose down and really go when you're in your 50s, and don't think that it's all over. As Brooks was saying, you know, right. our dad, you know, your grandfather Spencer, uh, he certainly built um, some things in his 60s and and 70s, and and um, he's you know really got after it. So it's never yeah. over, over till it's over, baby. Yeah. And then it's
0: <laughs> Keep over. it rolling. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah, it's boom. over. Boom. <laughs> Just like this show is over.
1: So. That's right. Now it's over. Now. On that <laughs>
0: note. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On that note. No, but uh, thanks guys. This was good. Uh, it's fun digging into those, those lessons I always think about. We all make mistakes, but anytime you can uncover things from other people and share that wisdom and pass it along it, it just allows people to shortcut a couple of those things and that can be all the difference so hopefully you guys listen we'll take at least one or two of these things and put it into action and as always we'll see you next week here on building a family business on builder funnel radio